Hey friends, welcome to another episode of Deeper Still, a podcast where we carve out space for meaningful conversation about God and life as we seek to pay attention to the ways He calls us to go deeper still in relationship with Him and with one another. My name is Sue Ann Camfield. I have the joy of being the host of this podcast, and I'm so glad you're joining us today. Well, before we dive in today's content, I just want to say a huge thank you for all the great feedback we have gotten on our most recent episode on Ashes and Lent with my friend and colleague, Eric Haskins. I've learned from this that the right choice is always to podcast with friends. It's so much fun. And that was a really fun episode. I was also just reminded of how helpful it is to hear feedback on the content that we are putting out. I'm always trying to get better at what we do. I'm always trying to find things that will be meaningful to our audience. And so I just want to encourage you, share that feedback with us, whether that's sharing something you learned or how it impacted you, or maybe something we could do better, or maybe there's a topic that you really want to hear more about and and you just want to share that with us. I would love to hear from you. If any of those things apply, uh, you can friend me on Facebook and let me know. You can follow me on Instagram at Sue Camfield or drop me a note at scamfield at Christchurch.us and let me know what you think. I will just warn you, I'm an Enneagram 4. So if you have some criticism, if you want to challenge me, I want to hear it. Just be nice because I have really soft skin. Uh, Hey, today on Deeper Still, I am excited, so excited to welcome Liz Heinzel Nelson and her husband, Stephen, to the show. Today, we're going to talk about the amazing work that God is doing through Villages in Partnership. Villages in Partnership, which we sometimes refer to here in this conversation as VIP, is a development organization that works in the rural villages of Malawi, partnering with 29 villages and impacting more than 21,000 lives. VIP has been in existence for over a decade, but as with so many things that bring change to this world, it started with an idea that God put on the heart of Liz Heinzel Nelson, who is now the executive director of the organization. Today, Liz and Stephen are going to tell their story of VIP and how it all began, as well as the impact of extreme poverty in communities like the ones they serve in Malawi. I will say I think that is such an important conversation, especially for those of us who live in the West, to understand what extreme poverty and that vicious cycle is all about. I really do think this is a perspective-changing conversation today. So friends, whatever you're doing, wherever you find yourself today, I hope you'll tune into this conversation as we talk about the ways God is using their ministry to change lives one life at a time. So saddle up, settle in, and listen in as Liz, Stephen, and I go deeper still. Well, welcome, uh, Liz and Stephen, to the show. I am so glad to have you here today. Thanks so much for joining me. Yeah, thanks, Sue Ann. It's great to be with you. Yeah. Well, I, you know, we're going to talk about so many important things today, and I'm so excited for you to uh, share your story and to share more about Villages and Partnership. But fun fact that I think is uh, we have not met before today, but we have some um uh, relationships that intertwine. And uh, before we started recording, you were sharing a little bit about the fact that um, our lead pastor here at Christ Church, Dan Meyer, I believe you were the first couple that he ever married. Is that true? Yes. <laughs> he married us and uh, did premarital counseling with us. And um, we we love Dan. We're, we're very fond of him. Dan and I were classmates at Princeton Seminary. So that's how he got into the picture. (laughs) Well, Stephen, I feel like that's a whole nother podcast. If you could tell (laughs) stories about Dan when you were in seminary together, I feel like that's a whole nother nother conversation we could have. (laughs) Well, the other thing I think is so fun is that um, your daughter, Jordan, for those of you listening who are part of our Christchurch community, your daughter, Jordan, started working on the staff here at the Christchurch, I think back in July. And um, as a resident in our mission department, and she has been just such a joy, such a joy to get to know. Uh, she talks so much about uh, the community at Christ Church and the staff and how she loves 
uh, working there and the mentors that are around her and how she's being deeply impacted. Mm -hmm. Uh, She's really sensing a call to the ministry and to study at seminary. And uh, this experience just seems to be growing that call. Oh, well, she's been such a gift to us. And it, it, it is one of the things I love about our church community here is there's so many amazing people who I know I'm so thankful for that in my life when we came here 17 years ago who have surrounded me and helped mentor me and pointed me in the right direction. And I feel like that's that's such a gift both ways to uh, both sides of that relationship. So we're just glad for the time we get with her. Thanks for welcoming her. Oh, yeah, we love her. Um, Well, Liz, I thought we could start our time today because we have a lot of ground to cover. I wish we had more time than we do in these episodes. But um, you have such an important story to tell. And the work that you're doing in Malawi is so important. And so I thought the way we could start this particular episode out is, is just to hear a little bit of your story. You know, so many missions and ministries and nonprofits start because um, someone felt a stirring in their souls. <laughs> God called them. They were discontent that they saw something that needed fixed in the world that needed right, righted. And God was stirring in their own heart to do something about that. And from what I understand about your story, um, that's exactly what happened to you. Can you can you share a little bit about that? Yeah, I, I'll start it. But Stephen has a great story to tell connected with it. Um, but uh, Sue Ann, I feel like God really placed the calling on my heart when I was 16 years old. And I remember reading about Mother Teresa and in my bedroom, dropping to my knees as a teenager and feeling like, here I am, Lord. And then uh, as teenagers, some teenagers do, (laughs) I got more interested in um, boys partying and being popular. (laughs) (laughs) and and became distracted from that call. And then it was when I was, I don't know, uh, in my late forties that God came and, and revisited that call with me. Um, And, and so that was kind of the beginning. I, I approached Stephen and we began talking about it. What did that look like when, when to reapproach, when God reapproached that call? Say more about that. Um, I just was feeling like, oh gosh, you know, um, our children are at a, at a good age. Um, you know, I, I just, um, wonder if now would be a, a good time for us to do mission work. Um, And I was very involved already in mission work at our church, working with our youth. We have a huge youth program um, of um, most children are unchurched. And um, and so, you know, it was kind of mission, local mission work. Uh, But and even before that, uh, in our previous congregation in Florida, Liz was the founding um, president, I guess, of the local Habitat for Humanity chapter. So she just has a missional heart, a missional Mm. instinct that had, like she said, always been there since she was little, that had just taken other various forms over the years. Um, And so we, you know, uh, went out on a Thursday. Uh, Thursday was my Sabbath day, and we went out to have a cup of coffee and she said, what do you think about doing mission work? I said, that's a great idea. You know, what do you want to like go down to the local, you know, soup <laughs> kitchen, and volunteer for an afternoon? And she said, no, I mean, like, let's go live somewhere and and do, do something over a long period of time. So um, that was really the formative beginning of what has become villages in partnership is just a cup of coffee saying, what, what do you think about this? 
Well, and Stephen, what also is so interesting about that is you were a pastor at the time. You were pastoring a local church. And so is that correct, right? Right. And so here's a where we are now. Yeah. Yeah. You're still there. So here's a pastor saying, um, your wife is saying she has this call to missions, and you're saying, okay, great. Let's how how, can we make it a small, a small call, please? Yes. And he would (laughs) he would even say, What if we go over for two weeks? And I would get so frustrated. That's not what I'm talking about. In the same way that she has had this very clear call to mission, I've had a very clear call to the local church that God has put on my heart that hasn't gone away. And so it's really been a tremendous blessing that we've both been able to pursue our callings uh, at the same time and how they've intertwined and reinforced each other over the years. But honestly, Sue Ann, um, it was not easy when when we came back from Malawi. I thought that uh, Stephen was going to sense a call for us to live there, and he didn't. And um, that was uh, like when we came back, I was in a very dark place, and I don't mean dark in depression. I mean dark and unknowing. I didn't know the next step forward. I I I. Why, why did God, you know, what did this year mean? Um, and uh, I, uh, some people were in our church were raising funds for what we had started. And I just, I was arguing with God. I was saying, I did not go over to Malawi to be a fundraiser. I am not going to be a fundraiser. And then I started realizing over time, and I mean, it took a a long time. I started realizing that God wasn't calling me to be a fundraiser. God was calling me to invite others into a a vision of building his kingdom here on earth, uh, a place where everybody has enough, uh, a community of love that um, crosses all boundaries. And, um, and so <laughs> that's how I, God slowly reconciled with me, <laughs> my, this calling. <laughs> that's great. Well, and I love that he must have eventually lined your hearts together because you lived in Malawi uh, for a year. You did pick up your family and go there for a year. Um, and I'm, I'm curious, number one, how that how that happened with that aligning of your hearts. And secondly, how did you end up in Malawi? You had this calling, you sat in a coffee shop, and and then you end up in Africa. How did, fill in some gaps there for us. <laughs> you know, the um, Bible says that the word of the Lord is like a lamp unto your feet. And I love that image because it really is almost like you have a flashlight that's just in front of you and all you can see is the next step. And it really was that. I mean, we just said, okay, we feel like we should invest ourselves in some kind of a much more intensive mission. Where should we go? And from there, it was like, well, where's the place of greatest need? Africa. And I got a random DVD sent to the church of an interview with Bono talking about the great need in Africa and how the local churches of America have been slow to the game. And that the best thing you can do is have your senior pastor go <laughs> see what's happening. And so then we were, okay, we need to go to Africa. He he just brought that DVD home um, during lunchtime one day and, and said, hey, you want to watch this leadership retreat with me? And we, when it was over, we both felt convicted. We were, we were crying and both felt convicted. Mm-hmm. Okay. Africa. And we, we had, we had formed a, a, a group of very trusted friends and family um, who were surrounding us in prayer. And we would meet maybe once a month. I can't remember, but um, the associate pastor at the time would lead the discerning group and they were only allowed to ask us questions. Um, And 
that group really helped um, guide us in the decision to go to Malawi and other things. Doors. Yeah, we just would meet people, and this person had been doing some mission work in Africa. Yeah, and then they knew this other person that they thought might be a good person to talk to, and then uh, eventually God took us to a pastor who had two young daughters who had just lived for a year in Africa and happened to be in Malawi. And so he knew people and, you know, we had never heard of Malawi as a country, honestly. Um, So it was just that kind of a very one step at a time discernment that at the time you feel like you're stepping out into the darkness, but then you look back and you see, oh, the path was there the whole time. But we just had to take that first yeah. step of faith and trust that the next one would reveal itself. And, and you know, we were offered a position to work in the Kabiri slums, and we thought we were going to Kenya. And then we met some people that said, if, if you're going with children, that's far too dangerous. And so that door closed and then other doors opened. And that's that's how it was the whole way. Doors closing and doors opening. Well, that's such a beautiful testimony. And I love that there's so many elements of that. There's your own faith journey. There is God opening doors and making a path. There's the community of faith surrounding you and praying for you and helping you discern and so many beautiful things. And I love that it's it's one faithful step at, the, at a time that so often we think we have to have the whole path marked out, especially when we're experiencing that stirring or calling in our lives and what we we need to remind ourselves and your story is so beautiful in that way. It's one faithful step at a time and trust that God will God will do the rest. And so thank yeah. you for for that being um, part of your story. That's a beautiful witness. And it well, let's, that way. <laughs> yeah. And it right every day, right? It's not like yes. that ever ends. Amen <laughs> to that. Uh, well, let's talk a little bit about Malawi. So you went there and um, I, I, there's some beautiful things that happened when you were there that that um, started Villages and Partnership. And, and share a little bit about what happened. What did you experience when you got there? And how did that start this vision to create this organization? Well, um, I'll just jump in here real quickly, but um, a couple of things about Malawi that are really significant for our story. One, it was a British protectorate. And so English is the next to the uh, local language, the primary language. So it made it much easier for us to go there and to connect and communicate. Secondly, the church in Malawi is powerful and particularly the Presbyterian Church. I'm a Presbyterian pastor, and the Presbyterian Church of Central Africa is huge and growing by leaps and bounds. And so there were just doors of opportunity that were available there that may not have been for me and for us in other places. Um, And the next thing is that what Liz said before, Malawi is a very peaceful country. And They have not had civil war and they haven't had a lot of the other things that make some places in Africa feel very dangerous. We never felt the least bit in danger of anything. I mean, we just, our kids and everything just felt so safe. And um, so there were just a lot of things about when finding Malawi and going there that really created the, the space for us to explore what God was calling us to really do there. Mm-hmm. Malawi was ranked, now it's ranked among the five poorest countries in the world. At that time, this was back in 2008, it was ranked like among the poorest countries in the world. Um, so uh, a lot of a lot of need there. Yeah, yeah you, you actually have some great statistics on your website and um, I don't know what year these are from, but you share that there's a million orphans in Malawi, that the annual gross national income is about $650 per person, that about 50% of the population is moderately or severely underweight, that a mother's uh, average age or the mean age of a mom at her first time she has a baby is age 18, 
the life expectancy average is age 61 and that 10% of the adult population are living with HIV AIDS. And so there is this mix of this safe and beautiful place where the church is present. And yet there, there is also this um, brokenness of um, what that looks like in terms of people's everyday lives and the poverty that they're living in in the midst of that. Is that would that be an accurate assessment? Oh yeah, uh, and even those statistics don't don't begin to give you a glimpse. the The poverty is very different from the poverty here. Oftentimes, when I go out to speak, I'll get the question: um, "We have poor here in America. Why 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 go to Africa?" And you're right; like we we do have poor, and we should serve the poor here in the United States. But the level of poverty in Malawi is completely different than the United States. Um, we we brought over a couple of Malawian staff in 2019, and we took them to a soup kitchen to work in in Trenton. And when we got back into the car, you know what they said to me? They said, am I Liz? We didn't see any poor people. And, you know. Um, Everybody in, had nice clothes on. Right. People had phones. You know, in Malawi, in the rural areas, we're talking about people who don't have access to water. They're, they have to walk long distances to get water. And sometimes they're drawing from contaminated water sources. Um, the, the HIV has left what they term child-headed households. We we can't even begin to understand that. I I went to a, a home recently. Our our staff, our education staff was doing an assessment on a boy who had applied for a, a high school, secondary school scholarship from VIP. And we were with a government officer and a VIP um, staff and myself. And he was sitting there with his older sister and younger sister. Both of their parents had died. His older sister was sick as she was wrapped up in her um, chitenji and coughing. And he had to drop out of school temporarily because she was sick. And so he had to be collecting the water and bringing in the harvest and taking care of the younger one. And do you know? that two weeks later, my staff contacted me and said she had died. You know, she had HIV AIDS and she had passed away, you know, like she couldn't have been more than 20 years old. Um, and and so now this young boy, Jonathan, is left rearing his older sister and he has to drop out of school. And that's that's just one family. There are, you know, like you said, millions of them there in a population of 19 million. So, um, yeah, it's, you know, transportation is nearly all by foot. You're, you're, you're lucky if you have a bicycle. Um, what, what other things show the, you sleep on the ground. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and you talk about this, you know, extreme poverty is a web of things that, uh, and the, that story you just told is a great example of one thing affects another. You know, it's easy for us at Amer as Americans to um, look at something and say, well, just get clean water or just improve the medicine or just um, help them uh, teach them a trade. You know, there's all kinds of different things. But one of the things that I, I love that Villages and Partnership does is you're working on this web of things that um, help support people. And, and you've learned that you can't just work on one area, that it's, it's many different areas. And so to talk a little bit about some of the work that you do and how, you, how you're coming at all of those different areas and a way to help build these healthy communities. Mm -hmm. Yeah, when um, <clears throat> when a community invites us in to work with them, we sit with the chiefs, the grassroots leaders, the church leaders, and they discuss with us their challenges. And when I say us, I don't mean Stephen and me. I mean our Malawian staff over in Malawi. 
And so um, they talk with them about uh, the challenges that they have. And then our staff asks them to prioritize them. And, uh, and so almost always the top priority is access to clean water. Um, and then after that, uh, we work with them on food security. And what that means is that they harvest enough food or they have income to purchase food to last them through a year um, until their next harvest. Um, they don't have a government that provides social support that if they don't have enough food, the government will help them. If they don't have enough food, their family starves. They they go down to one meal a day. Um, so, so anyway, the the community um, prioritizes and determines what they want to work on. So if they say to us, we would like um, a well, then we say back to them, okay, you want access to clean water? What can you do about it? Oh, well, we can provide the land. We can make bricks to line the well. Um, we can, you know, get river sand, uh, you know, whatever they have to do. And then um, what we can't do is we don't have enough money for a pump or cement. Oh, okay. Well, then villages in partnership can partner with you on that. So it's it's a, a real partnership. And in did you want to say something? Well, uh, just that we learned a lot. I mean, when we went over there, we didn't know anything about development work, really. And uh, we read some books and this and that, but we just learned a lot from the people whom we met in Malawi who were doing different kinds of work. And one of the things that we learned is what you had mentioned before, that extreme poverty, people whose lives are being lived at the very edge of survival. It's because of this interlocking web of things that we take for granted that they have very little of or no access to. And that when we would see, we, we saw the work of a lot of other incredible NGOs that would often address one or maybe two of those things. And often their work in an area would be limited by the uh, project scope that might be two years or three years or five years. And in that time, they would address one or two things like drilling wells and providing water. And once those projects ended, people's lives hadn't really changed. <laughs> the well would break and they'd have no money to fix the well. So now, even though these wells were put in, they're not, not functional. They build a school, but because people are still getting so sick and children have no access to health care, they're not going to school anyway. Or the girls have to walk too far to the nearest well to fetch water. And by the time they get back and collect firewood to make the breakfast, who has time to go to school? Mm -hmm. So that, that shows how things interlock um, and are, are yeah. woven together to af that affect each other. And so we just became convinced that what God was calling us to do was to start one of these kind of uh, development projects that addressed all of these underlying uh, situations at the same time, water, food security, education, medical care, health care, infrastructure and economic development. And when you do them all simultaneously, if you provide all of those things, it actually, it's like lifting the floor. Mm -hmm. So people who are at the bottom <laughs> suddenly are now have a foundation under them and they can move from what we call level one extreme poverty to level two sustainable living. And that's what Villages in Partnership is all about. Yeah, that's that's our mission. Is our, our broad mission is to eradicate extreme poverty, but our focused mission is to move people from extreme poverty to a, a self-sustaining lifestyle. 
Well, I, I think that's such an important distinction. And, you know, what stuck out at me with when you talk about extreme poverty and explain it the way you just did with these interlocking webs, you know, it, it makes it more clear about how it, if one of these things falls apart, that this vicious cycle that you talked about where they get trapped in it, people in extreme poverty, and they literally can't get out on their own. And so they've got to have partners, people that come in. And so it's just such a um, beautiful picture and such a unique way that you're you're coming at the problem that I love. And so um, I'm curious, I, I wanna go back to something you said, because Liz, this struck me when I was learning a little bit more about you. You said you and Stephen don't do the work, that you have trained people in Malawi. I believe you're working with 26 villages now, correct me if that's wrong, I'm but not. you have, 29, thank you. Um, and you have staff on the ground there who's actually training and developing people. Talk a little bit more about the importance of that and what that looks like for you guys. Yeah, so honestly, Sue Ann, <laughs> we didn't train them, they trained us. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. <laughs> they, um, uh, Wellings Malabu is our country director over there and uh, he's been working with us since day one. So for the past 15 years, and um, he just um, was the one who started educating us about um, the the interlocking um, causes. And also he was very much go little by little. Change, change happens very slowly. Um, and so um, even though Stephen said we lift the floor, not everybody, not for everybody, not everybody in the in the communities where we work pick up the tools we offer. For instance, we try to teach all, all of the farmers um, conservation agriculture, a method where they use the maize stalks uh, the following year, the dried maize stalks to cover their, their land to um, retain moisture and to break down um, into and to provide nutrients into the soil. And for the farmers who have been practicing this for two, three years, it has made a significant difference. Mm -hmm. And when there's a, a, a drought, like their, their maize looks so healthy, whereas the, the field next door that doesn't practice that is all wilting and yellowing. And um, and so not everybody picks up the tools. Um, so um, but we find that um, our, our lead farmers, for instance, uh, we our, our staff over there trains them on a particular they've been identified as people who will embrace everything that VIP has to offer. Mm -hmm. And and then um, they practice it and then their neighbors begin to see it and they teach their neighbors. They, they teach other people about it. So, um, so that's how it's grown. It's great. So, uh, yeah. A, a school is for everybody. A well is for the community, but there are other things that we do like some of our economic empowerment initiatives, some of our agricultural initiatives where, you know, we just lay the tools there and it's up to them if they want to pick up the tools. It's mm, good. Well, and I would imagine you have to fight through, um, I think one of you said, you know, you just have to remember it's a piece at a time and that you're taking one step at a time and, and not get discouraged when people don't pick up the tools. But I imagine there's so much overwhelmingly good things, good things that are happening. Share, share with us what's exciting you right now. What a, what's a really bright spot that you just, you see God moving and you're excited about? The individual stories are the ones that inspire me the most and um, and keep me doing what I'm doing. Um, you know, I, I met this woman, Gertrude in Tacoma. Um, we made a video of her. It's on our website. But she was a widow with four children. And um, she reached out to VIP and um, showed interest in business. And so we provided her with business training. And at the same time, 
a well went into her community. So now she has close access to drawing water. Um, and, and she went to business training and she had a little business at her house, but it was off the beaten path. And she told us the business training, she learned two things. One was go, go, um, open up your business on a, on a busy road. And the second thing is listen to your customers, like don't get locked into something, but listen to the, what's the need out there. And she did that and her business is booming. Mm -hmm. um, and so, uh, so now she said to me, she brought me into her house and she put her hands in her bag of maize and she lifted and she said, I have enough food. I can feed my own family. I can pay for my children's school fees. I I can do this on my own. Like that's that's what we aspire to. That's so good. And it's it's one life at a time, it's one village at a time, it's one partnership at a time. And when you start to see the way that God is at work and he cultivates that and it works, that the your labor is is working and making a difference. What a joy that must be for the two of you. Yeah. And Suzanne, uh, Suan, I also want to mention it isn't only over there that lives get changed, but lives are dramatically changed here. Um, people experience, uh, when they come over with us, they experience um, a, a, a sense of faith um, there that, uh, I don't know if it's difficult to find here or what, but it, it's, it's, it's different. Mm -hmm. And it really impacts um, Americans. And another thing that does is their sense of community um, and how they all work together. And when, they, when they're working together, there's song and dancing and joking. There's so much laughter in that culture. You know, people think that when they come over, they're going to experience despair and depression. <laughs> and it's not that at all. Mm. It, it, it's um, so we also experience, um, you know, the, the beauty about the beauty about God is that when, when God calls you and um, into God's vision, like everybody's life gets changed. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, I've been to Africa twice. I've had the privilege of going not to Malawi. Although now that I've learned so much more about you, I told your daughter this morning, I'm like, how do I sign up for a trip to Malawi? Because I'm, I'm in. <laughs> oh, that's um, awesome to hear. I'm going to get you after this. <laughs> I know. Now, now it's on air. So now I'm, I'm um, but if someone was interested in, in coming, how would they do that? What would that look like for them? Say more about that. Okay, well, your church can talk to um, Jordan, Jenny, Jenny Garst, Jim Garst, um, Suzanne uh, Zudlicki. Uh, there are members of your church who have who have been already and have had a powerful experience. Um, but you can also go on our website. And um, there's a tab uh, about mission trips, and we call them friendship trips because um, uh, Americans, um, they want to do something when they go over there. And they do, but it's not going to be clear to them until they get over there because, for instance, um, maybe they're ma maybe the communities are working with VIP to build a timber bridge. Or maybe they're making bricks for a warehouse um, or a school. It's things that we don't do in this country. Um, and, and so the women have to go to the well all together and fetch water. Or the women are all cooking together and making a big community meal while the men are working together to move the timbers for the bridge. Um, and so... Uh, um, we're, we're, we're coming alongside them to learn about life in Malawi. And their real mission is when they come back here. 
to, to witness and tell other people about life over there and to invite them into this kingdom building work. Mm. Stephen, what would you add to that based on your experience in Malawi? Well, it is just <laughs> something to see God working in such obvious, powerful ways through, you know, the little bit of, of uh, faith that we have to go and see and then where it has all led and how it has transformed our lives and um, all of these people that we've met through VIP. I mean, a lot of people say, oh my gosh, you sacrificed a year. You know, you went and lived in this, you know, very poor country and it, it's like the best thing we ever did. It's mm -hmm. enriched our lives so tremendously. And um, again, just to be clear, uh, when we say Villages and Partnership, VIP, there's really two different organizations. There's Villages and Partnership USA, the, the group that Liz is, uh, you know, the executive director of, and we have our own board of directors and as of two years ago, there's now Villages and Partnership International. That is a registered, recognized NGO in Malawi. Because before that, we were kind of underneath the umbrella of other organizations. But we are now a standalone organization in Malawi with its own board of directors that include you know, some people from the, the USA board, but it's a majority of Malawians. And they're the ones overseeing the, the work on the ground over there. And just to see this come from the two of us <laughs> having a cup of coffee, and now <laughs> we have this, you know, international organization that employs over 20 people full-time, working, you know, every day on behalf of some of the poorest people in the world, and we get to encourage them and support them. And when our friendship teams come over, it just, it just the enthusiasm for the work when they see how many other people now are being touched by what they're doing, and are just supporting what they're doing. And it just encourages our staff, it encourages the people in the village. And I mean, just to see this area, this little you know, patch of the earth, these 29 villages, literally transforming in front of your eyes. In 15 years, this place, I mean, it was desolate. There was nothing there. There were no businesses. There were no bicycles. Most kids didn't go to school. So many people were just living in tatters when roofs with thatched roofs that uh, houses with thatched roof that would leak. And now you go and people have businesses and they're, they're, they're thriving and they're riding their bicycles and, you know, they have goats in their yards and it's just this whole area. It's just like Liz goes over maybe three times a year to, you know, keep those relationships fresh. I go every other year and in two years time to see the transformation you know, of individuals like the story Liz told, but that's one of dozens, hundreds, hundreds of people, <laughs> kids going to school, kids going to college. The first kid from a village who's ever from that village had anyone ever go to college and VIP is paying for them to go to college and mm -hmm. things like that. It's just, it's, it's extraordinary. That is absolutely extraordinary. What a beautiful story. I can't believe we're almost out of time because that, um, I feel, I have the feeling we're just, you know, it's the tip of the iceberg of the good work that God is doing, the work that he is doing, has done in your lives and is continuing to do as he works on you as influencers. And again, just people who are taking one faithful step at a time. So what, what a beautiful story. We're going to share more, um, 
at the end of the episode about how people can find you, about how they can see pictures and videos, how they can learn more about maybe coming on a trip or supporting the ministry. So we'll provide that all at the end of the episode so people can can find exactly who you are and what you do. Um, but before we wrap up our time, I have a one final question, and it's the deeper still question. It's the question I ask everybody who comes on the podcast. You can't escape it, so don't try. Um, but, I, you know, and you guys have been talking about this. I feel like your, your journey is so much of um, realizing that just when we think God has put us in a place where maybe we're starting to get comfortable, that he often calls us to go deeper with him or deeper in relationship with one another or deeper in our perspective of the world. And just when he calls us to go deeper, he calls us to go even deeper still. That's why we're called deeper still. And so if you would do me the honor, I would love to hear each of you share one area of your life right now where God is calling you to go deeper still. We have a a pastor friend who always talks about he uses the phrase, how God is messing with you. Hmm. And I feel that God really messes with me um, with my finances. Um, I, I feel like I don't look at things the same anymore. And I wrestle when it comes to Christmas time and, you know, uh, what am I spending my money on? And um, how how could my money be used to um, change other people's lives? Um, you know, constantly, it's not just Christmas time, it's throughout the year, I find that um, God really messes with me. But in that messing, uh, one of the things that I have discovered is that I have come to love being generous. Um, I don't think I was like that before, but I I just feel so free to be generous. And it's not only to our, our work in Malawi, but, you know, to things going on here or, you know, when when people have a need or um, generous with our time, with our with our talents, I I just feel like that's a, a something that Christ is really growing in me. Mm-hmm. What I love about that answer, Liz, is people would look at you and say, here's a woman who has given up the many years of her life to help the most impoverished people in the world. And that you're you're saying this is still an area where God is pushing you to be even more generous, because I think a lot of us would look at you and say, oh, my goodness, woman, you've been generous enough, like your life is generous. <laughs> And so thank you for sharing that, because I think that's such a it's a, such a beautiful example of the fact that God just he's never done with us. He's never done messing with us. So thanks for yes. sharing that. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Stephen, how about you? I think for me, this experience of immersing ourselves in um, service has really challenged me to think about that in this context, uh, because um, like I say, I don't go over to Malawi. Uh, you know, the work of VIP is is one thing of a lot of different things. But, you know, how can I uh, continue to find ways of, uh, you know, seeing my mission field right here in my backyard and to help this church that I lead to be even more um aware of the the tremendous, tremendous needs uh, that are around us and, you know, live into what Jesus said, where he says, those who lose their life for my sake will find it. Mm -hmm. Um, And I just think that we have seen that, we we are experiencing that in such a profound way, um, but it's something that everybody can experience in smaller ways, maybe, or maybe not quite as dramatic. You don't have to move to Africa to serve Jesus Mm -hmm. and to have your life transformed. Um, And so how, how can I do, do that personally and then also lead a community that becomes even more sacrificial in how we live our lives. Mm -hmm. 
That's so good and so helpful because I'm sure there were people or are people listening today that think, gosh, I, I can't do what you guys did. But what a great reminder to say, you know what, be faithful where God has you. Open your eyes to the needs of the world and serve where, where God is calling you because everyone's story is unique in that way. Mm-hmm. And so um, thanks for that added encouragement. I, I really appreciate you guys. What a joy it has been to hear a little more of your story, to get to know more about villages and partnership. Just may God continue to bless you and uh, our Malawi brothers and sisters and the good work that um, all of you are doing together. We so appreciate you guys. Thanks, Sue Ann. And I just want to give a shout out to your church because your church is one of our church partners and they've been very generous with the people of Malawi. And so I just want to also in closing, thank your church congregation. Well, you are very welcome. It has been a joy to um, partner with you and, and what a great ministry to invest our resources in. So thank you for doing us the honor of allowing us to support you in this way. And if I could just add another kind of more personal uh, shout out, Jordan was nine the year we lived in Malawi (laughs) and having her serving there in the missions department is just another one of God's amazing (laughs) gifts uh, of how that experience as a nine-year-old has led her to where she is now as a 25-year-old serving in that great congregation in the area of mission. Mm-hmm. So um, it just, you see this, the stories get very intertwined. Isn't God so cool that way? Isn't he just amazing? Well, thanks so much for being here. It's a joy Thank blessings you. to you both. And uh, we'll be sure to share how people can get involved. And I, I'm sure you're gonna have a lot of people who wanna learn more and jump in after hearing your story. So thanks so much for sharing yeah. with us. Thanks, Sue Ann. See you in Malawi. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. (laughs) Well, friends, lots to digest today. I love ending on that personal note. So good, so fun, but also so glad to have a conversation that pushes us to look outside of ourselves and to see the needs of the world around us because it is one of the ways that God calls us to go deeper still. So I hope we got your attention. I hope you'll take the next step by going to villagesinpartnership.org. Learn a little bit more about the amazing work they are doing. Their videos are awesome. Their story is so good. You also can find some ways about how you can support them as an organization or get involved in the work that they are doing to change this narrative of extreme poverty. If you're interested in going one step further even and serving on a team that will be going to Malawi this summer to roll up their sleeves and do the hard work, my local church, Christ Church, who I produce this podcast with, is sending a team that will be led by Jordan Heinzel Nelson, Liz and Steven's daughter. She's one of my colleagues. She is awesome. And I'm so excited about this trip. You can learn more about that trip by going to Christchurch.com. U.S. backslash go teams, G-O-T-E-A-M-S. Just check it out. See what it's all about. And if you're interested, reach out to us and we'd love to tell you more. Well, thanks so much for listening today. As always, we'll be back in two weeks where I have the great honor of interviewing Dorothy Littell Gretko about her book, called Marriage in the Middle, Embracing Midlife Surprises, Challenges, and Joys. Friends, if you're married, no matter how long you've been married, you don't want to miss this conversation. So come on back. Until then, go in God's grace. Mm